Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Radio Havana, Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and Russia's Sputnik Radio. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. On the anniversary of the Nagasaki bombing, people commemorated the catastrophe, and the mayor insisted on joining the new UN Treaty on Nonproliferation. A Japanese team reported that China led the world in quality of research papers on natural science. COVID infections continue to increase across Japan at an alarming rate. New treatments for COVID are being tested in both Japan and through the World Health Organization around the world. NHK Japan. People across Japan have commemorated a catastrophic event during World War II. Seventy-six years ago, the United States dropped an atomic bomb on the southwestern city of Nagasaki just three days after the world's first atomic attack leveled Hiroshima. Nagasaki fell silent Monday at 11.02 a.m., the exact time the bomb exploded. It devastated the city, killing more than 70,000 people by the end of 1945. Many survivors suffer from cancer and other diseases related to their exposure to radiation. The memorial ceremony was drastically scaled down for a second consecutive year due to anti-coronavirus measures. The attendees watched as the names of the victims were symbolically placed on the memorial. The register now contains 189,163 names. It includes the names of 3,202 people that have been added since last year. In his peace declaration, the mayor of Nagasaki referred to a UN treaty that bans nuclear weapons. The treaty came into force in January, but nuclear powers as well as Japan and other countries protected by the U.S. nuclear umbrella have not signed it. As the country that is most aware of the tragic consequences of nuclear weapons, Japan should join the first meeting of state parties to the UN Treaty as an observer in order to look into ways to develop the treaty. And I demand that Japan sign the treaty and ratify it as soon as possible. Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide noted there are disparities between where nations stand on nuclear disarmament. Through mutual engagement and dialogue, countries must dispel the sense of distrust and make efforts to build a common foundation. Suga said Japan aims to achieve meaningful results at an upcoming review conference of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. 
A Japanese research institute says China has outstripped the United States for the first time in quality of research papers in natural sciences. Japan's National Institute of Science and Technology Policy analyzed scientific papers published globally over the three-year period through 2019. China was responsible for more than 40,000 of the top 10% of the most cited papers. The number of papers quoted in other theses is deemed to be an indicator of quality. The United States came in second. It had over 37,000 papers in the top bracket. Japan ranked 10th with over 3,700. It was leapfrogged by India into ninth place with more than 4,000. Now, an institute official says China has gained momentum in recent years due to a rise in the number of its researchers and funding. The official says Japan needs to increase its number of doctoral students and the hours its scientists spend on research. Moving to the coronavirus situation here in Japan, nearly 19,000 new cases were confirmed across the nation on Thursday. That's a record high for the second day in a row. Experts are describing the situation as akin to a disaster. Almost 5,000 infections were reported in the capital. The number of seriously ill patients here hit a new high at 218. Experts for the Tokyo Metropolitan Government say the virus is spreading with unprecedented speed. The average number of new cases per seven days has doubled in two weeks, pushing the medical system close to breaking point. The care system, including ordinary care, has become extremely dysfunctional. A further increase in the number of seriously ill patients could lead to a crisis. We could lose many lives that would otherwise have been saved. Tokyo's rapid surge is being seen across the nation. 20 prefectures, including Osaka and Fukuoka, have logged new daily highs. Meanwhile, the health ministry is working to widen the use of so-called antibody cocktail treatment for COVID-19. The therapy is a combination of two drugs given simultaneously. It was approved last month, but its use so far is restricted to the elderly and some people with underlying health conditions due to the limited supplies. Now there are calls to make it available to a broader range of patients as more people are self-isolating at home. The health ministry will make arrangements with local governments so that such people will be able to receive the treatment during short-term hospitalization. An overseas clinical trial has confirmed the therapy reduced the risk of hospitalization or death by 70%. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization says it will start clinical trials of three drugs used for other diseases as potential treatments for seriously ill coronavirus patients. The three are the malaria drug artesanet, imatinib, which is used to treat certain cancers, and infliximab, a medicine for Crohn's disease. The WHO says the trials will be carried out at more than 600 hospitals in 52 countries. That of the UN Health Agency said there is still a critical need to find more effective treatments for COVID patients. My sincere hope is that one or more of the drugs being tested in the Solidarity Plus trial will prove to be effective in treating COVID-19. Data from Johns Hopkins University shows the global tally has reached over 204 million cases across the world. The number has doubled in about six months following the emergence of the Delta variant.
Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7.245 and 7.355 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazilian President Bolsonaro presided over a military parade outside his palace, reminiscent of the military dictatorship in the country from 1964 to 1985. An indigenous organization in Brazil has asked the International Criminal Court to investigate Bolsonaro for both genocide and ecocide. A new study in the journal Nature finds human activity could soon cause a devastating change in the Atlantic Ocean currents and sea level. Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, under pressure for his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and facing investigations into a series of unproven election fraud allegations, has drawn more criticism after presiding over a military parade outside the presidential palace. Smiling with military top brass at his side, the far-right leader on Tuesday stood atop the palace steps in the capital, Brasilia, as a long convoy of tanks and armoured vehicles filed through the seat of power in the South American nation. Critics said the display was reminiscent of Brazil's 1964 to 1985 military dictatorship, for which Bolsonaro, a former army captain, is openly nostalgic. In the face of mounting pressure, the president has intensified his long-standing claims that Brazil's electoral system is rife with fraud, accusations that have been rejected by leading Brazilian jurists and other experts as without merit. Critics said Bolsonaro is taking a page out of the book of former United States President Donald Trump, whom the Brazilian leader has long idolized, in order to sow doubt before next year's presidential election. An indigenous organization in Brazil has asked the International Criminal Court, the ICC, to investigate Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro for quote-unquote genocide and ecocide, accusing him of persecuting native peoples and destroying their homelands. The Articulation of Indigenous Peoples of Brazil, the APIB, charged in a case filed with the Hague-based court on Monday that the far-right president has, quote, led an explicit, systematic and intentional anti-Indigenous policy since taking office in 2019. We believe there are acts in progress in Brazil that constitute crimes against humanity, genocide and ecocide, Eloy Terena, the group's legal coordinator, said in a statement. Given the inability of the justice system in Brazil to investigate, prosecute and judge these crimes, we denounce them to the international community. Bolsonaro has presided over a surge of destruction in the Amazon rainforest, slashed environmental protection programs and pushed to open indigenous reservations and other protected lands to agribusiness and mining. Indigenous rights activists further accuse him of exacerbating the devastation that COVID-19 has wrought on their communities with his stance against stay-at-home policies. The estimated 900,000 indigenous people in Brazil are particularly vulnerable to outside diseases, including COVID-19.
A new study in the journal Nature finds human activity could soon cause a crucial Atlantic Ocean current system to collapse with devastating impacts on the global climate system. Researchers found the ocean currents that carry warm water from the tropics to the North Atlantic have already been destabilized by the climate crisis. A complete collapse would dramatically change rainfall patterns around the globe, lower temperatures in parts of Europe while raising them elsewhere, and would dramatically raise sea levels in the eastern United States. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are no longer updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 6060, or 6100. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. There were many stories following the release of the International Panel on Climate Change Report, the IPCC, on human impacts on the global climate. The United Nations Secretary-General described it as a code red since the report says human activity is absolutely causing the heat waves and flooding and that immediate action is needed. We will hear from two of the report's authors. A longer story I do not have time to air was about the fact that the world's military's carbon footprints are secret, not reported, and enormous. Southern Europe hit record high temperatures and wildfires are burning around the Mediterranean. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Code red for humanity. That's how the UN Secretary General described the report, its first since 2014. It states unequivocally that we are to blame for global warming. Greenhouse gas emissions from humans has driven the global temperature up by 1.1 degrees since 1850. And it's on course to pass the 1.5 degree limit already by 2030 unless rapid action is taken. Effects of the temperature rise have never been more visible. Wildfires are scorching parts of the planet, while severe floods have left other parts submerged. Still, the authors say it is not too late. And so if we if we stop warming at 1.5 degrees, um, then we will also stop many of these extremes from getting worse. We can slow these changes down um, and we can stop many of the others from getting worse by urgently and drastically reducing CO2 emissions in the next decade. It comes as policymakers prepare for a crucial summit in November. Activists want them to honor their commitments. This is absolutely down to governments. And, and there are only a few critical governments which are really important. You know, the rich countries agreed more than 10 years ago to put a pot of money together to help developing countries deal with climate change. 10 years later, they have still not got that money together. The UN panel says its report will be critical for negotiations at the upcoming summit. The future of our planet could hinge on its outcome. 
Let's get some perspective now with Friederike Otto. She's one of the authors of the report and the associate director of the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford. Thank you for joining us. This is the last IPCC assessment that'll be issued before essentially we get to the point where there is no going back. The panel issued a wake-up call in its report back in 2014. What is different now? Well, what is different now is that we had uh, another seven years of uh, of warming, of uh, increasing greenhouse gas emissions. So we do see uh, a lot more impacts of climate change around the world. In fact, this report states that every region in the world is affected by changes in extreme events and other climate events because of man-made climate change. The report also states that it is a fact. There is absolutely no uncertainty around that, that human greenhouse gas emissions are the cause of the warming we observe. We already observe a very strong increase in the likelihood of heat waves, an increase in heavy rainfall events, droughts in some regions in the world, and also compound events. So the combination of hot and dry and the combination of uh, flooding from sea level rise with heavy rainfall events. And these are uh, events that will continue to get worse in a warming climate. No matter at what warming level we will constrain global mean temperature rise, we will continue to observe further sea level rise for decades and centuries to come and also glacier melt because these are the slowly responding parts of mm. the climate system. Without rapid, sustained and urgent reductions in CO2 emissions, it will not be possible anymore to reach the 1.5 degree goal. That is the information that this report puts to the world. To prevent uncontrolled warming beyond two, three, even four degrees, uh, that would take us to a tipping point. What is the biggest priority of action do you see from uh, global governments heading to this UN climate conference this fall? Well, there are two aspects um, that, that are really important and that this reports highlight. And the one aspect we've just talked about that um, without rapid, urgent and sustained uh, emission reductions, and particularly CO2 emission reductions, the climate goals of the Paris Agreement can not be reached. Hmm. But also, we are already observing a changing climate in all regions in the world. So we also need to deal with these changes that are already here and that will continue to get more intense and more frequent in the case of extreme events with a warming climate. Friederike Otto speaking to us, one of the authors of the IPCC report and the Associate Director of the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford. Thank you. Let's talk more about the findings of this IPCC report with Douglas Marone, a climate scientist and one of the authors of today's report. Good to have you with us. The findings are unnerving. Can we still get ahead of this? Yes, we can. So the report is quite clear about that, that if we start soon or immediately reducing greenhouse gas emissions at a large scale, then we still can meet the Paris Agreement, the 1.5 degrees. Now, in 2014, the panel issued, I understand, a wake-up call. Uh, I understand not only has the outlook not improved, it has gotten worse. You alluded to the Paris Accords. Does this mean nothing changed since the Paris Accords? 
Well, there was a report um, specifically on the 1.5 degrees um, in 2018 where um, they, they did a let's say more rough estimate when we would um, reach the, the 1.5 degrees and now this has been um, refined and it seems to be also because we had quite strong warming over the last years that this would happen potentially 10 years earlier than expected. Are you seeing a shift in public perceptions? I mean, we're having a, a very unsettled summer, wildfires and floods scattered around the globe. People are seeing uh, the possible consequences of climate change. Do you see that people are really, that the awareness has been raised now when it comes to climate change? I would say a, a major change was already happening um, because of Fridays for Future, this movement. Um, probably brought this um, the whole climate change issue more into the into the general public so it helped to mainstream the issue probably also the recent events i mean they, they are just what we expect um, in particular the heat waves we have in in and the droughts we have in in the mediterranean they are just what we expect them um, so that's clear in the report what impact do you hope that this report will have Luckily, um, we, we managed to have it finished um, prior to the next COP in Glasgow. I hope that it will be taken serious by policymakers and uh, will be taken into consideration in, in their planning of the future of this planet. Now, in terms of limiting climate change, can we get to a uh, net zero world? Is that really an achievable uh, goal or is the issue today that we just have to adapt to a future of extreme weather events? We have got econ economists at the Institute who tell, tell us that it's still possible to do that. Um, so, and we will, we will learn a lot more about that um, next year in spring when the third volume will come out about, of this report. All right, Douglas Marona, climate scientist and one of the contributors to the IPCC report. Thank you. Southern Europe, firefighters in Italy say they were battling more than 500 blazes overnight. On Wednesday, a monitoring station in Sicily recorded a temperature of 48.8 Celsius. Scientists believe it could be the highest in Europe's history. Well, at least 69 people have been killed in wildfires in Algeria, the latest blazes to hit the Mediterranean region. Many of the dead are soldiers who joined firefighters and civilian volunteers in battling the blazes. Most of the fatalities are in the Tizi Uzu province, east of the capital Algiers, and the mountainous region of Kabali. The government is blaming arsonists for starting the fires. Three days of national mourning have been declared. Well, meanwhile, authorities have reported some progress in taming wildfires that have been ravaging parts of southern Europe. In Greece, an international task force is helping Greek firefighters battle a massive blaze that's already burned much of the island of Evia since igniting over a week ago. Local officials there say fire crews are slowly gaining the upper hand. In neighbouring Turkey, authorities say wildfires, which began two weeks ago, have largely been brought under control, despite some flare-ups. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com. You can also find Deutsche Welle as DW on YouTube. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. 
Please help me keep producing this weekly show, which is freely distributed to radio stations and the internet. We will conclude with Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi spoke with Vaughn Smith, founder of the Frontline Club, a center for independent journalists. They discussed the Biden administration's attempt to extradite Julian Assange. Sputnik Radio. I'm still here with the founder of London's Frontline Club, Vaughan Smith. You're speaking to me from the house that you gave asylum to before President Correa of Ecuador uh, to Julian Assange. I mean, what do you make of Joe Biden's Justice Department claiming that uh, uh, they have a justified appeal against the British court saying that he'll be protected uh, in custody in the United States? I'm incredibly disappointed. I'm slightly heartbroken about it. I mean, I know Julian personally, and he's not the person. Um, his character is not as described by, you know, people who who denigrate him. You, you know, Julian has got up every day of his, uh, you know, every day feeling that he's he's serving the public. I'm, I'm troubled by the way that we can gang up against somebody who's got something that we, to say that might not quite fit into what lots of people want to hear, but but actually we benefit by hearing hearing people and 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 voices like Julian's. I fear are marginalized uh, and and actually what's happened to him legally is so disgraceful it's so completely clear that the law applied to julian and the law applied to say you or i or anybody who might be watching uh, you in this country is quite a different thing julian has been picked off to make an example of him and the suffering he's going through is intended to dissuade other people from doing what he did now um, i personally believe that what he did was an incredible contribution to public understanding He's very much part of our understanding of what transparency should be. It's an important debate that he brought to us, uh, I feel, about what role secrecy uh, you know, and transparency should have in the modern world. And I think the public haven't really been able to sort of focus on that enough because they're distracted by all the, all the, the, the lies uh, and smear, uh, uh, which is of monumental proportions against you. And it's quite extraordinary. Um, the wool has been completely pulled over our eyes. I think the, it is disappointing because the Obama administration decided not uh, to do this. It was, it, it was Trump who actually took this action. Uh, Trump's administration took this action against Julian. Um, and I had hoped that Biden would drop it because it is essentially an assault on journalism. Um, and it ties into what's happening in our country as well, which I think we should all be really worried about. Um, you know, our government is looking at legislation today about official secrets. It's tending to, you know, the, already the public interest defense, that is, you know, when, when you leak something and you can then go to court and say this was in the public interest. Well, that's, that was removed by Mrs. Thatcher. Um, but all the other arguments that might have defended, I mean, I'm sure some of your audience would have seen Kira Knightley in her film Official Secrets about the, you know, the Catherine Gunn. Um, but the way that uh, Ben Emerson, the, the famous QC who defended Catherine then, um, was able to protect her, I'm told, wouldn't be a defense in the future. And so it, it is very worrying what's happened. And all of these things sort of uh, fit together. Fundamentally, uh, those people who are trying to keep the public informed appear to be in retreat at the moment. And our institutions aren't being supportive enough. Our news organizations, I think, need to get out on the front foot and try and d d defend things. We're getting too hung up on things like the definition of a journalist. Well, what is a journalist today? Well, actually, in the new media where anybody can blog, surely journalism is a set of values rather than a job description. Um, and, and so I think that we're, we're losing that. 
and there's a tendency, I think, for the traditional media to get hung up for self-interested purposes in terms of what a definition of the journalist is. I've been a freelance journalist all my career, quite proudly so, and I've found freelance journalists can be you know, evangelical about their ethics. Um, and I see that in a lot of bloggers. Um, and and uh, I think that we need to really look at, try to find a way uh, of, of understanding who we need to believe. Uh, and it's incredibly complicated, but those people like Julian Assange who've made such a contribution to that are, are getting marginalized. Vaughan Smith, thank you. That interview was by Afshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground, heard on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com, as well as on YouTube by searching for Going Underground. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please take a moment and make a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at the website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.